Before I begin today, you may have noticed that uh, I'm standing in some unfamiliar environs. Uh, I'm preaching today from the Visual Arts Gallery outside of our sanctuary. Uh, our team had uh, created this magnificent uh, gallery uh, for the theme of wilderness during Lent, which sadly many of you were not able to experience or enjoy here in person. So I thought this would be a good way to highlight uh, the beauty of their work while also preaching from an appropriate location here on Earth Sunday. And so friends, let us be in a spirit of prayer. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. He appeared to be deep in thought when we found him sitting in the cage. Given that this was a bird, a cockatiel, I believe, it might be more accurate to say that he was perched. Birds don't really sit. But let's not mince words. This bird was fat. And while his gnarled claws were curled around the plastic perch of the bird cage, his considerable bulk was also spilling out onto it, supporting his weight. So let's just say that he was sitting down. He was a striking specimen, and my wife and I were immediately drawn to him as we walked down the aisle of the pet store. In addition to being relatively large, he also gave the distinct impression of being on in years. He was adorned in brilliant white and powder blue feathers that flared out wildly, especially on the back of his head, lending him the appearance of some wizened shaman wearing a ritualistic headdress. The impression was heightened by the other birds in the cage, smaller creatures with yellow feathers that danced around him, chirping with youthful energy, while the elder sat perfectly still, as if lost in meditation or a ritual trance. Look at those beady little eyes, I remarked to my wife, who replied, those are his nostrils. Shows you how much I know about birds. As I said, the creature never moved a muscle. It was statuesque, like it had spent some time with the taxidermist. I couldn't help but think of the famous Monty Python skit about a man who accidentally buys a dead parrot from the local pet store. And when he tries to return it, the cashier tells him that the bird is simply lost in thought, probably pining for the fjords. But the overall impression that this bird gave was one of deep and abiding wisdom. This was a creature who had seen much, having already forgotten more than the little birds who fluttered around him had ever learned. He was an elder, a guru, a teacher. But then what do I know? Birds are strange creatures, alien, avian, strangers to our human sensibilities. They aren't wired like us, and it was probably a mistake to anthropomorphize this cockatiel or to lend it human characteristics. But we do that all the time with animals, don't we? We can't help but try to understand them in those terms, not unlike our understanding of God, really. 
And it's hard not to, especially when they seem to be behaving like us. A couple of years back, we found something strange in the tree across the street from our house. It was a chair, the kind you might find sitting at any kitchen table, but it was up there in the tree, probably 30 feet off the ground. We couldn't explain how it had gotten there or why anyone would go to the trouble, but the birds seemed to love it. It was the only time, other than the aforementioned cockatiel, that I saw a bird actually sitting down. I mean, what else do you do with a chair? But it was weird, as if they were imitating human behavior. And as we looked up at those birds, and they looked back down at us, I can't help but wonder what they saw. I've been paying more attention to the birds lately. In the midst of quarantine, ironically, I find myself outdoors more often. I don't usually spend much time outside, but with the so-called civilized world closed down, I've been going for a lot of walks outside instead. I usually bring my youngest son Levi with me, either walking around the neighborhood or driving to one of the local forest preserves. We found a fantastic one just a few minutes from our house off of Lambert Road in Wheaton. It isn't well known, so there are seldom any people there. Only the birds, finches and sparrows that hop among the fallen leaves, and ducks that float serenely in little rows upon the placid surface of the lake. Occasionally, we spy a cardinal, its bright red feathers contrasting with the grayish brown scenery of late winter. This is their world, and we try to tread lightly, though Levi does occasionally chase after one of the birds and scare it off. It's so different from our usual routine, Saturday afternoons spent wandering the predictable corridors of shopping malls, adrift amongst a crowd of strangers, listening to Levi talk about all of the different toys that he wants to buy, eating greasy french fries at the food court. The last time we went to the mall, I nearly slipped and fell in the slick remains of somebody's vomit. True story. But here, here in the woods, we explore the winding labyrinthine trails, maneuvering through the bramble, occasionally getting sharp spurs caught in our matching black leather jackets. We toss stones into the lake, watching the ripples expand in the water. We look for sticks that are suitable for hunting monsters and attack the misshapen trees that a good imagination might mistake for some foul creature. Sometimes we sit on one of the benches alongside the lake and eat peanut butter sandwiches and watch the ducks float by. We walk alongside the fence that keeps folks out of the Glen Owen Public Works facility, which adjoins the woods, and I show him the barbed wire. I'd spent so long on the other side of that fence, on the side that keeps nature out, that I'd sort of forgotten this wilderness, this world that has been here all along, long before any of us were born. I hadn't noticed its unhurried pace, its natural beauty, 
or its gentle lessons. And I had neglected everything that it can teach us. Watching the ducks in particular reminds me that nature is never in a hurry to go anywhere. They appear to be perfectly still as they glide across the pond. I, I know that their feet are paddling beneath the water, propelling them forward, but they don't seem to have any particular destination in mind. They occasionally thrust their green feathered heads below the surface to catch a fish, but they don't appear to have any plans after dinner. Most of the natural world seems to maintain this pace, perhaps because the earth is so old and our lives are so relatively short. We're more like hummingbirds than ducks, our hearts racing, our wings beating with blinding speed, racing from one endeavor to the next. This pandemic, in many ways, has forced us to slow down to stop and smell the proverbial roses. It's also forced us to retreat from our hostilities against nature and the earth. With our airplanes grounded and our cars parked in the driveway, gasoline production and other heavy industries have practically ground to a halt. Our pollution and carbon emissions have plummeted. I know it's been bad for the economy, so I hesitate to call it a good thing unequivocally, but it's worth pointing out that these changes have given the earth a chance to breathe again, and they have demonstrated what is possible when it comes to fighting climate change. And our economy doesn't have to suffer, not in the long term, if we can better adapt it to more sustainable practices. Maybe now that we have seen what is possible, we can finally begin living into that vision. Whether we're talking about environmental protection or simply slowing down the pace of our lives, nature's lesson is one and the same. Keeping Sabbath is critical to our survival, our productivity, and our sanity. A sustainable earth needs a rest from our industry, and so do we. As surely as soil that is overworked will cease to produce anything at all. I wish I could say that was a lesson that I learned from my grandmother, who lovingly tilled the garden in her backyard, growing the crisp green beans that I would snack on every summer as a child. But like most things, I actually learned it from watching TV. It was a sitcom of sorts called Stella, about three bachelors who are often struggling to make ends meet. One day, the characters in this show get the idea that they can save money by growing their own vegetables. So they throw a bunch of seeds on the hardwood floor of their apartment and water them with a hose, much to the chagrin of their neighbors downstairs. But then something remarkable happens. Something begins to grow. Little green shoots poking through the cracks in the floor. Before long, they're running a thriving farm in their New York City apartment. They bring on a crew of day laborers to till the land, but one of them, a seasoned farmer, warns them to rotate the crops and let some of their fields lie fallow, to rest, lest they dry up forever. But the bachelors who live there have gotten greedy, 
affecting linen suits and straw hats and sunglasses and chewing tobacco and berating the workers as they trot their horses across the living room. They exploit the land. And sure enough, they wake up one morning to find that their entire apartment has become a dust bowl. Dry, dusty soil blowing in the breeze. Tumbleweed rolling across the floor. What happened? One of them asks the farmer who cries out, Because of your greed, you have overfarmed the land, and now we have nothing. The show was canceled after one season, but I personally thought it was very funny, and uh, a good morality tale, too. Nature, I believe, has many lessons to teach us, things that we have forgotten as our lives have grown more distant from it living behind our walls and our barbed wire fences that keep it out. Jesus reminds us of nature's wisdom in our gospel texts, which is ostensibly a proverb about anxiety and worry. But more specifically, it is about what nature can teach us about productivity and balance. It's interesting and instructive that Jesus uses the birds of the air and the lilies of the field to make his point, as if to suggest that there is great wisdom to be found in God's creation, more perhaps than in the things we create ourselves. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus tells us. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field, he goes on, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. The natural world is unhurried and unworried. It doesn't make constant demands. It asks only to be respected rather than exploited. But we, in turn, demand so much from it. I went for another walk with Levi this week, this time wandering the empty avenues of the College of DuPage. Unlike the Forest Preserve, the absence of other people was more noticeable here, more striking. It was so calm and peaceful, so different from the other times that I'd been there, when there are students and faculty rushing about to get from one place to the next. And I had the grim thought, just for a fleeting moment, that perhaps this world was better off without us. But we are a part of nature too, a part of God's creation. That's what Jesus is trying to impart to us in this gospel, that the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and the human beings who inhabit the earth can all benefit from the same wisdom and shared experience. We don't exist separately from nature, not really. We also have a right to be here, provided that we can live in harmony with the rest of it. This is our world, too, which is all the more reason to respect it rather than exploit it for short-term gain. As we were walking across the campus, we came upon a tall hill that rose up next to the soccer field. And I noticed that there was something up there, something that wasn't supposed to be there, an aberration in the natural scenery that stood out against the clear blue sky. 
We climbed that hill all the way to the top and saw what it was. It was a chair, not unlike the one that had mysteriously appeared in the tree near my house. It had no business being there, but I sat down in it, and I surveyed the landscape below. It wasn't quite a bird's eye view, but it offered a unique perspective. I saw fields of rolling green hills and grass and trees swaying in the breeze, all of it intermingled with the beautiful architecture of human hands. It was a magnificent portrait of the natural world and human industry living in harmony. Maybe our world could look like that if we are humble enough to learn what the birds would teach us, that we can survive and even thrive without exploiting the earth or each other, that we can slow down without standing still, that we can be productive without being anxious, that we can get everything we need without taking it by force. Nature has valuable lessons to teach us if we can remember that we are God's creatures too, just like the birds of the air.